Section 18 of The Modern Scottish Minstrel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Modern Scottish Minstrel by Charles Rogers. Section 18. A Clacken, the Skull. As I sat by the grave at the brink of its cave, Lo, a featureless skull on the ground, The symbol I clasp and detain in my grasp, While I turn it around and around. Without beauty or grace, or a glance to express, Of the bystander nigh a thought, Its jaw and its mouth are tenantless both, Nor passes emotion its throat. No glow on its face, no ringlets to grace, Its brow, no ear for my song. Hushed the caves of its breath, and the finger of death, the raised features hath flattened along. The eyes wanted beam, and the eyelids quick gleam, the intelligent sight are no more. But the worms of the soil, as they wriggle and coil, come hither their dwellings to bore. No lineament here is left to declare, if monarch or chief art thou, Alexander the brave, as the portionless slave that on dunghill expires is as low. Thou delver of death, in my ear let thy breath, who tenants my hand, unfold, that my voice may not die without a reply, though the ear it addresses is cold. Say wert thou a may, of beauty array, and flattered thine eye with a smile, thy meshes didst set, like the links of a net, the hearts of the youth to while. Alas, every charm that a bosom could warm is changed to the grain of disgust. O oh, fie on the spoiler for daring to soil her, gracefulness all in the dust. Say wise in the law, did the people with awe acknowledge thy rule o'er them? The magistrate true to all dealing their due, and just to redress or condemn. Or was righteousness sold for handfuls of gold? in the scales of thy partial decree, while the poor were unheard when their suit they preferred, and appealed their distresses to thee. Say, once in thine hour was thy medicine of power to extinguish the fever of ale, and seemed, as the pride of thy leechcraft e'en tried, or omnipotent death to prevail. Alas that thine aid should have ever betrayed thy hope when the need was thine own. What salve or annealing sufficed for thy healing, when the hours of thy portion were flown? Or wert thou a hero, a leader to glory, while armies thy truncheon obeyed? To victory cheering, as thy foemen careering in flight left their mountains of dead? Was thy valiancy laid, or unhilted thy blade, when came onwards in battle array, the sepulchre swarms, unsheathed in their arms, to sack and to rifle their prey? How they joy in their spoil, as thy body the while, besieging, the reptile is vain. And her beetle-mate, blind, hums his gladness to find, his defence in the lodge of thy brain. Some dig where the sheen of the ivory has been, some the organ where music repaired. In rabble and rout they come in and come out, at the gashes their fangs have bared. Do I hold in my hand a whole lordship of land, 
represented by nakedness here, perhaps not unkind to the helpless thy mind, nor all unimparted thy gear, perhaps stern of brow to thy tenantry thou, to leanness their countenances grew, gainst their crave for respite, when thy clamour for right required to a moment its due. While the frown of thy pride to the aged denied, to cover their head from the chill, and humbly they stand, with their bonnet in hand, as cold blows the blast of the hill. Thy serfs may look on, unheeding thy frown, thy rents and thy mailings unpaid. All praise to the stroke their bondage that broke, while but claims their obeisance the dead. Or a head do I clutch, whose devices were such, that death must have lent them his sting, so daring they were, so reckless of fear, as heaven had wanted a king. Did the tongue of the lie, while it couched like a spy, in the haunt of thy venomous jaws, its slander display as poisons its prey, the devilish snake in the grass? That member unchained by strong bands is restrained, the inflexible shackles of death, and its emblem, the trail of the worm, shall prevail, where its slaver once harboured beneath. And, oh, if thy scorn went down to thine urn, and expired with impenitent groan, to repose where thou art is of peace all thy part, and then to appear at the throne. Like a frog from the lake that leapeth to take, to the judge of thy actions the way, and to hear from his lips, amid nature's eclipse, thy sentence of termless dismay. The hardness of iron thy bones shall environ, to brass links the veins of thy frame, shall stiffen, and the glow of thy manhood shall grow, like the anvil that melts not in flame. But wert thou the mould of a champion bold, for God and his truth and his law? O oh, then, though the fence of each limb and each sense is broken, each gem with a flaw, be comforted thou, for rising in air, thy flight shall the clarion obey, and the shell of thy dust thou shalt leave to be crushed, if they will, by the creatures of prey. Ambruader, the Dream We submit these further illustrations of the moral maxims of the skull. In the original they are touched in phraseology scarcely unworthy of the poet's Saxon models. As Locke fasted in slumber's arms, I lay and dreamed, so dreams our race, when every spectral object charms to melt like shadow in the chase. A vision came, mine ear confessed its solemn sounds. Thou man distraught, say, owns the wind thy hands arrest, or fills the world thy crave of thought. Since fell transgression ravaged here, and reft man's garden joys away, he weeps his unavailing tear, and straggles like a lamb astray. With trilling bleat for comfort high, to every pinfold humankind, ah, there the fostering teat is dry, the stranger mother proves unkind. No rest for toil, no drink for drought, For bosom peace the shadows wing. So feeds expectancy on nought, And suckles every lying thing. Some woe for ever wreathes its chain, And hope foretells the clasp undone. Relief at handbreadth seems in vain, Thy fettered arms embrace, tis gone. Not all that trial's lore unlearns, of all the lies that life betrays, avails, for still desire returns, 
the last day's folly is to-day's. Thy wish has prospered, has its taste, survived the hour its lust was drowned, or yields thine expectation's zest to full fruition golden-crowned. The rosebud is life's symbol bloom, tis loved, tis coveted, tis riven. Its grace, its fragrance find a tomb, when to the grasping hand tis given. Go, search the world, wherever woe of high or low the bosom rings. There, gasp for gasp, and throw for throw, is answered from the breast of kings. From every heath-turf reeks its cloud, from every heart its sigh is rolled. The rose's stalk is fanged, one shroud is both the sting's and honey's fold. Is wealth thy lust, does envy pine, where high its tempting heaps are piled? Look down, behold the fountain shine, and deeper still with dregs defiled. Quickens thy breath with rash inhale, and falls an insect in its toil. The creature turns thy life-blood pale, and blends thine ivory teeth with soil. When high thy fellow-mortal soars, his state is like the topmost nest. It swings with every blast that roars, and every motion shakes its crest. And if the world for once is kind, yet ever has the lot its bend. Where fortune has the crook inclined, not all thy strength or art shall mend. For as the sapling's sturdy stock, whose double twist is crossly strained, such is thy fortune, sure to balk, at this extreme, what there was gained. When heaven its gracious manna hailed, t'was vain who hoarded its supply, not all his miser care availed, his neighbour's portion to outvie. So blended all that nature owns, so warped all hopes that mortals bless, with boundless wealth the sufferer's groans, with courtly luxury distress. Lift up the balance, heap with gold, its other shell vile dust shall fill, and were a kingdom's ransom told, the scales would want adjustment still. Life has its competence, nor deem that better than enough were more. Sure it were fantasy to dream, with burdens to assuage thy sore. It is the fancy's whirling strife that breeds thy pain, to-day it craves, to-morrow spurns, suffices life, when passion asks what passion braves. Should appetite her wish achieve, to herd with brutes her joy would bound, pleased other paradise to leave, content to pasture on the ground. But pride rebels, nor towers alone, beyond that confine's lowly sphere, seems as from the eternal throne, it aimed the sceptre's self to tear. Tis thus we trifle, thus we dare, but seek we to our bliss the way. Let us to heaven our path refer, believe, and worship, and obey. That choice is all to range beyond, nor must, nor needs, provision, grace, in these he gives who sits enthroned, salvation, competence, and peace. The instructive vision passed away, but not its wisdom's dreamless lore. No more in shadow tracks I stray, and fondle shadow shapes no more. Duncan MacIntyre Duncan MacIntyre, Donacha Ban, is considered by his countrymen the most extraordinary genius that the highlands in modern times have produced. Without having learned a letter of any alphabet, he was able to pour forth melodies that charmed every ear to which they were intelligible. 
and he is understood to have had the published specimens of his poetry committed to writing by no mean judge of their merit, the late Dr. Stewart of Luss, who, when a young man, became acquainted with this extraordinary person, in consequence of his being employed as a kind of underkeeper in a forest adjoining to the parish of which the doctor's father was minister. MacIntyre was born in Drumliart of Glenorchy on the 20th of March, 1724, and died in October, 1812. He was chiefly employed in the capacity of keeper in several of the Earl of Breadalbane's forests. He carried a musket, however, in his lordship's fencibles, which led him to take part, much against his inclination, in the Whig ranks at the Battle of Falkirk. Later in life he transferred his musket to the Edinburgh City Guard. MacIntyre's best compositions are those which are descriptive of forest scenes, and those which he dedicated to the praise of his wife. His verses are, however, very numerous, and embrace a vast variety of subjects, from the extraordinary diffusiveness of his descriptions, and the boundless luxuriance of his expressions, much difficulty has been experienced in reproducing his strains in the English idiom. Mari Van Og, Mary the Young, the Fair-Haired My young, my fair, my fair-haired Mary, my lifetime love, my own, the vows I heard when my kindest dearie was bound to me alone, by covenant true and ritual holy, gave happiness all but divine, nor needed there more to transport me wholly than the friends that hailed thee mine. T'was a Monday morn, and the way that parted was far, but I rivalled the wind, the troth to plight with a maiden true-hearted that force can never unbind. I led her apart in the hour that we reckoned, while I gained a love and a bride, I heard my heart, and could tell each second, as its pulses struck on my side. I told my ale to the foe that pained me, and said that no salve could save. She heard the tale, and her leechcraft it sained me, for herself to my breast she gave. Forever, my dear, I'll dearly adore thee, for chasing away, away, my fancy's delusion, new loves ever choosing, and teaching no more to stray. I roamed in the wood, many a tendril surveying, all shapely from branch to stem, my eye as it looked, its ambition betraying, to cull the fairest from them. One branch of perfume and blossom all over, bent lowly down to my hand, and yielded its bloom that hung high from each lover, to me the least of the band. I went to the river, one net cast I threw in, where the stream's transparence ran. Forget shall I never how the beauty I drew in shone bright as the gloss of the swan. Oh, happy the day that crowned my affection with such a prize to my share. My love is a ray, a morning reflection. Beside me she sleeps a star. Bendurin, the Otter Mount Bendurin is a forest scene in the wilds of Glenorchy. The poem, or lay, is descriptive less of the forest or its mountain fastness than of the habits of the creatures that tenant the locality, the dun deer and the roe. So minutely enthusiastic is the hunter's treatment of his theme 
that the attempt to win any favour for his performance from the Saxon reader is attended with no small risk, although it is possible that a little practice with the rifle in any similar wilderness may propitiate even the holiday sportsman somewhat in favour of the subject and its minute details. We must commit this forest minstrel to the good nature of other readers, entreating them only to render due acknowledgment to the forbearance which has, in the meantime, troubled them only with the first half of the performance, and with the single stanza of the finale. The composition is always rehearsed or sung to pipe music, of which it is considered, by those who understand the original, a most extraordinary echo, besides being in other respects a very powerful specimen of Gallic minstrelsy. Urler The noble otter hill, it is a chieftain bane, ever the fairest still of all these eyes have seen. Spacious is his side, I love to range where hide, in haunts by few espied the nurslings of his den. In the bosky shade of the velvet glade, couch in softness laid the nimble-footed deer, to see the spotted pack that in scenting never slack, coursing on their track is the prime of cheer. Merry may the stag be, the lad that so fairly flourishes the russet coat that fits him so rarely. Tis a mantle whose wear time shall not tear, tis a banner that ne'er sees its colours depart. And when they seek his doom, let a man of action come, a hunter in his bloom, with rifle not untried, a notch firm fastened flint, to strike a trusty dint, and make the gunlock glint with a flash of pride. Let the barrel be but true, and the stock be trusty too, so Lightfoot, though he flew, shall be purple dyed. He should not be novice bred, but a marksman of first head, by whom that stag is sped in hillcraft not unskilled. So when Patrick of the glen called his hounds and men, the hill spake back again, and his orders shrilled. Then was firing snell, and the bullets rained like hail, and the red deer fell like warrior on the field. Shul Oh, the young doe so frisky, so coy and so fair, that gambles so briskly and snuffs up the air, and hurries retiring to the rocks that environ, when foemen are firing and bullets are there. Though swift in her racing, like the kinfolk before her, no heart-burst unbracing, her strength rushes o'er her. Tis exquisite hearing, her murmur as nearing, her mate comes careering, her pride in her lover. He comes, and her breathing, her rapture is telling, how his antlers are wreathing, his white haunch how swelling. High chief of Bendoran, he seems as adoring, his hind he comes roaring to visit her dwelling. T'were endless my singing, how the mountain is teeming, with thousands that bringing each high chief's proud seeming, with his hind and her gala of younglings that follow, o'er mountains and biala, all lightsome and beaming. When that light foot so airy her race is pursuing, O oh, what a vision saw e'er a feat of flight like her doing! She springs in the spreading grass, scarce feels her treading. It were fleet foot that sped in, twice the time that she flew in, the gallant array. How the marshes they spurn, in the frisk of their play, and the wheelings they turn, 
as the cloud of the mind they would distance behind and give years to the wind in the pride of their scorn tis the marrow of health in the forest to lie where nooking in stealth they enjoy her supply her fosterage breeding a race never needing save the milk of her feeding from a breast never dry her hill grass they suckle her mammoths they swill and in wantonness chuckle o'er tempest and chill with their ankles so light and their girdles of white and their bodies so bright with the drink of the rill through the grassy glen sporting in murmurless glee nor snowdrift nor fortune shall urge them to flee save to seek their repose in the clefts of the nose and the depths of the house of their own s and t Urlar. in the forest den the deer makes as best befits his lair where is plenty and to spare of her grassy feast there she browses free on the herbage of the lee or marsh grass daintily until her haunch is greased her drink is of the well where the watercresses swell nor with the flowing shell is the toper better pleased the bent makes nobler cheer or the rashes of the mere than all the craig that e'er gave surfeit to a guest come see her table spread the sorach sweet displayed the elvi and the head of the daisy stem the dorach crested sleek and ringed with many a streak presents her pastures meek profusely by the stream such the luxuries that plump their noble size and the herd entice to revel in the house nobler haunches never sat on pride of greece than when they batten on the forest links and fatten on the herbs of their carouse oh tis pleasant in the gloaming when the supper-time calls in their hosts from roaming to see their social prime and when the shadows gather they lair on native heather nor shelter from the weather need but the knolls behind dread or dark is none there's the mountain throne height and slope their own the gentle mountain kind pleasant is the grace of their hue and dappled dress and an ark in their distress in Bendoran dear they find. Shuel So brilliant thy hue, with tendril and floweret, the grace of the view, what land can o'erpower it? Thou mountain of beauty, methinks it might suit thee, the homage of beauty to claim as a queen. What needs it, adoring, thy reign we see pouring, the wealth of their store in already I ween? the seasons scarce rolled once their gifts are twice told and the months they unfold on thy bosom their dower with profusion so rare ne'er was clothing so fair nor was jewelling air like the bud and the flower of the groves on thy breast where rejoices to rest his magnificent crest the mountain cock shrilling in quick time his note and the clans of the groat with melody's note their tumblers are trilling no foot can compare in the dance of the green with the roebuck's young heir and here he is seen with his deftness of speed and his sureness of tread and his bend of the head and his freedom of spring over corrie careers he the wood-cover clears he and merrily steers he with bound and with fling as he spurns from his stern 
the heather and fern, and dives in the dern of the wilderness deep. Or anon, with a strain, and a twang of each vein, he revels amain mid the cliffs of the steep, with the burst of a start, when the flame of his heart impels to depart how he distances all, two bounds in a leap, the brown hillocks to sweep, his appointment to keep with the doe at her call. With her following, the roe, from the danger of ken, crouches inly and low in the haunts of the glen, ever watchful to hear, ever active to peer, ever deft to career, all ear, vision, and limb. And though Colt and Cuchulain, with the horses and following, should rush to her dwelling, and our prince in his trim, they might vainly aspire, without rifle and fire, to ruffle or nigh her her mantle to dim. Stark-footed, lively, ever capering naively, with motion alive, eye, and wax-white and shine. When her startle betrays that the hounds are in chase, the same as the base is the rocky decline. She puffs from her chest, and she ambles her crest, and disdain is expressed in her nostril and eye. That eye, how it winks, like a sunbeam it blinks, and it glows and it sinks, and is jealous and shy. A mountaineer links, like her race that's gone by. Crinlure, Finale Her lodge is in the valley here, no huntsman void of notion, should hurry on the fallow deer, but steal on her with caution. With wary step and watchfulness, to stalk her to the resting place, ensures the gallant white's success, before she is in motion. The hunter bold should follow then, by bog and rock and hollow then, and nestle in the gully then, and watch with deep devotion. The shadows on the benty grass, and how they come and how they pass, nor must he stir with gesture rash to quicken her emotion. With nerve and eye so wary, sir, that straight his peace may carry, sir, he marks with care the quarry, sir, the muzzle to repose on. And now the knuckle is applied, the flint is struck, the priming tried, is fired, the volley has replied, and reeks in high commotion. Was better powder ne'er to flint, nor trustier wadding of the lint, and so we strike a telling dint, well done, my own caution. End of section 18. Recording by Charlie, B.C., Canada.